today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The ones who truly have a, a deep and abiding faith in their lives and they're, they're able to weather the storms, it's because they've been stretched and they've seen God faithful in their life. It's because they've pressed into absolute darkness and God has brought them through on the other side with his glorious light. They're the ones who had absolutely no answers and yet at the very last moment, God reveals His glorious truth. Everybody wants to be strong and have all their needs met, yet Pastor David reminds us that it is the trials which can bring the greatest chance for growth. We are not promised a life of ease as a Christian. In fact, as a follower of Christ, the enemy will be set on stopping you from being victorious as a Christian. So, as we pray that God will show us our direction, we must place our trust in whatever the future may hold. A Christian's goal isn't to avoid challenges, but to remain faithful in the midst of them. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Final Words. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, what you ought to say, and I love this saying, if the Lord wills and we live, we'll do this or that. Because we don't even know the number of our days, do we? So if the Lord wills and we live, that's what we'll be able to do. That's the direction we're looking at going. And so for the Apostle Paul, we find here actually on into 2 Corinthians that his plans were actually altered more than once due to a lot of circumstances that were beyond his control. After several trials and even after threats of death, Paul did finally make it back to Corinth, and yet he wasn't able to stay for very long at all. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith had this saying. I don't know if it was original with him, but again, I love the saying. It says, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. We've got to be flexible in our life. And about the time we stiffen up and say, this is all there is, and this is the only way that we're going, that's when, again, we're, we're going to find ourselves cracked up. Not cracking up, but cracked up, Okay. How true it is, as we follow the Lord's leading in our life, as we're open to his leading in our life, we eventually come to understand that we don't know the beginning from the end. And yet God has seen both of them. We forget the beginning. We haven't seen the end yet. And yet God is intimately aware of both. So why shouldn't our steps be surrendered to the Lord every step of the way? Every step of the way. We may get to a point where we think, well, finally, this, this, this stage is over in my life. I know some of you here tonight 
you've come to that point in your life, you think, oh, great, that stage is over in our life. Only to find out that maybe that's just the beginning of what the Lord was showing you. No, that, that's just the entryway into the next stage and all that he's going to do. And you know what? For a Christian who is faithful in following the Lord, who's willing to serve him, willing to say, all to Jesus, I surrender all to him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. You know what, though, what happens to those kind of believers? They get stretched. They get stretched for the glory of God. Not as a punishment, no, but in order that they might see the greater glory of God. The ones who truly have a, a deep and abiding faith in their lives and they're, they're able to weather the storms, it's because they've been stretched and they've seen God faithful in their life. It's because they've pressed into absolute darkness and God has brought them through on the other side with his glorious light. They're the ones who had absolutely no answers. And yet at the very last moment, God reveals his glorious truth. That's the kind of believers that God wants to make out of every one of us. And you don't get there easily, folks. It's not a step one, two, three, you're there. I wish it was, but it's not. It is a lifelong journey. And the harder our heads are, the, the longer the journey Believe me, I know. I can attest to that fact. Okay. Do you realize God does not want you to be self-sufficient? God wants you to be absolutely God-dependent. If God doesn't do this, I don't know. That's when he gets the glory. If I've got everything figured out, if I can take care of everything in my life, if I have no struggles or issues in my life, where's the glory of God in that? Where's, where's the power and the majesty of God in that? No, that's the power, that's the majesty, that's the wisdom, the intelligence, the, the suave debonairness of David. Okay, nobody laughs, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Rather than God, it becomes a work of the flesh. It's when we put it to the test that God really gets the glory. It's at this point in Paul's plan, he's gonna remain in Ephesus for a season. Look in verse eight. He says, I'm gonna tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And then he says in verse nine, and I love this, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, wait a minute. Did you catch that? God has opened this great and effective door of ministry for him, but at the same time, there's all of these adversaries. In essence, Paul is saying that he was planning on staying in Ephesus because it's great, this effective door of ministry is open to him, this door for the work of ministry, this door for the furtherance of the gospel, and yet even though this open door is here, the enemy is also there. That's why it says, hey, I got this open door. There's a lot of adversaries. There's, there's a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of attacks that are gonna be happening here. And this is similar to what we were saying early. Simply because you're doing the will of the Lord does not mean you will not face the adversary. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say, in accordance to what I read in God's word, that the exact opposite is true. The more focused and dedicated you are on your life, being obedient and following Christ in every area, 
the more the enemy hates your guts. He's going to do everything he can to cause you to back down, to back off, or to freeze. Because, see, then you're no no more of a threat to him. And yet, as we continue to press on into those things, even when the trials come, even when the adversary is, is pounding on our door, we continue to press on for the glory of Christ. Christ is honored. He's glorified in our life, and the enemy hates that. Again, Paul knows that the enemy is always going to be present wherever the Spirit of God is moving. There will always be battles whenever we're moving in the direction that honors Jesus, that glorifies the Father. We can read about what Paul is speaking about. Actually, if we went back to Acts chapter 19, as a matter of fact, why don't you go there real quick. Keep your place in 16. We will be back there. Go to Acts chapter 19. We're gonna see where the Spirit of God has opened up a lot of opportunities for Paul not only to preach the gospel, but also to begin discipling people and maturing people in their walk in the Lord. And during the height of this revival and the height of this real spirit and this move of God, there in the midst, we're gonna find some battles. There in Acts chapter 19, down in verse eight, we read these words, that Paul went into the synagogue and there he spoke boldly, For three months, he reasoned and he persuaded concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and didn't believe, but spoke evil of the way, the way is what they were calling the believers, the Christians at the time. They spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Then he departed from them and withdrew the disciples and began reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued on for two solid years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles at the hand of Paul. Let me get there here because again, this is such a powerful, powerful passage. The miracles that he's working at the hands of Paul, what does it say there? So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. The diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Beloved, that, that's, that's not a, a recipe to get the miracle of God. No, that's just what God was doing at that point in time. For us to try and replicate this, I think is, is absolutely foolish. I think that's what God was doing at that time because of the power of God working at that point in time. Now, move on down to verse 24. In verse 24, we read about a certain man named Demetrius. He was a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana and brought no small profit to the craftsmen. In other words, they were making a lot of money by making these little idols. He called them together. He called all these craftsmen together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity in this trade. In other words, you know we make a lot of money by making these little idols. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Well, she must not be very powerful of a god at that point in time. That's what I would be thinking. 
But when they heard this, verse 28, they were filled with wrath and they called out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion, rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, some another, from the assembly was, uh, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had even come together. Isn't that usually the case when you get a big crowd like that? When you get riots and things going, hey, everybody's up for a big riot. Let's go break stuff and, and mess things up. What, why are we even here? I don't know, but let's go make some noise and begin the riot. So most of them didn't even know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So they tried to get a little bit of peace and calm. They brought in this guy, Alexander, but here's all these Gentiles, these pagans, worshiping Diana, and here comes a Jew trying to bring in some semblance of order. There's no way we're gonna let a Jew bring any kind of order to us because, again, their focus was on preserving Diana because she couldn't preserve herself. Uh, So verse 35, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things can't be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open, there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly." for we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly and then moved right into chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to Macedonia. Yeah, he finally made it over there, but it was through a lot of trials. Paul's life was literally on the line. I don't know if you caught that or not. But the anger of the riot that was there, they, Paul wanted to go, hey, maybe I can explain to them, maybe I can, and, and all the disciples said, no, 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 don't you dare go into there. They will probably tear you limb from limb. Paul was simply doing the Lord's will, and yet now his life was at stake. Great chaos came. Other believers, they, they, they were possibly even harmed during the time of the rioting. But again, simply because they were doing the Lord's will. There was definitely an open door, but there were many adversaries. Now, when we come back over to, to 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a further instruction for them. He says in verse 10, now if Timothy comes... See that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me. For I am waiting for him with the brethren. 
realize Timothy, a young man, he'd been raised in a home where his mother and his grandmother had come to Christ. Jewish women who had come to Christ, we don't know anything about Timothy's father at all, but we do know that his mother and his grandmother were Christians, and he was then raised in a Christian home. It would seem as though through the ministry of the apostle Paul, that this young man, Timothy, actually came to Christ. Not only was Timothy his convert, but Paul looked at him literally as his son. And apparently, being a young man, not only were there particular disadvantages for him being young, but it also appears that that even, even as a young man, he had several of these reoccurring physical issues we find in Paul's letter to Timothy these admonitions. Look, uh, well, you don't need to look, just write it down. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So here's this young guy, he's got a lot going against him. Number one, he's a young guy, and for him to go and, and, and to have any kind of authority with all these older folks, it would be as if a young guy of 18 or 19 would come in here and all of us older ones would look at him and say, hey, Come back in a few years after you've learned a few things. Then maybe you can take a leadership position. That's what the mindset was. And that's why Paul tells the Corinthian church, hey, if Timothy comes to you, don't despise him. And even as he writes to Timothy, he says, don't let anyone despise your youth. But then here's this young guy, not only with the problem of being young, but he's got a lot of physical ailments. He's got problems with his stomach. And as Paul says, your frequent infirmities, what those things were, we don't know. He had so many strikes against him, and yet this young man was able to be used for the glory of God. Why? Because it wasn't by his ability. God worked even through his infirmities. How many times do we count the strikes against someone? We're fearful of letting them step out because of some of the issues that are going on in their life. Basically, we're, we're, we're fearful that they may fail. You know what? Sometimes failure is one of the best teachers. Is there an amen to that? Because failure is a lesson that sticks with you. <laughs> you, you. You can talk to me all day long, and that lesson may or may not stick. But once I do something and I fail in it, I realize, whoa, I don't want to go there again. You know what? A lot of times we're afraid of letting people fail. But yet God is the one who takes failures and turns them around for his glory. And I can see evidence of that all over this auditorium. Amen? I don't know. How sickly was Timothy? How able was he to perform all the duties necessary as a pastor, even traveling in different times? We don't know, but we do know that this young man loved the Lord and was willing to give his life, his sicknesses, his youth, his infirmities into the Lord's hand in order that the Lord might be glorified in his life. Paul tells the church at Corinth, man, see that, see that Timothy might be able to be with you 
without fear. Why would that even come up? Would it be because Paul knew the church at Corinth? And he knew that Timothy's not this big bold guy. He's not going to come in and, you know, stormtroop through the place, but Timothy's probably a guy of humility because of his youth, because of his infirmities. He says, don't make that guy fear when he comes to you. He's doing the work of the Lord just as I do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace. I can picture the scene right now. This young guy, he comes on the scene. He's desiring to serve God. He desires to minister to the people of Corinth, and yet he's met by a bunch of Christians old enough to be his parents or his grandparents. What can this young kid do? What does he have to say? I think God wants to pour his spirit out on the next generation. I believe that God wants to stir the hearts of those teens and those 20s, and yes, even in those 30-somethings. And sometimes that means it, it rocks the world of us who have gray hairs or no hairs. Uh, it, it rocks our world. Why? Because they're doing something fresh. They're doing something new, and we're pretty well set in our ways. Don't let him come. Don't, don't, don't let him come to you in fear, fearful of speaking the things that God's sharing on his own heart because he's afraid he's going to be met with so much resistance from those in authority there in Corinth. All too often, we, we've been in the Lord for decades, and we become more concerned about methods and styles rather than really the, the new thing that the Lord wants to do in our midst. We get stuck in our ways. We become too comfortable in our patterns. And change is the enemy. Maybe Paul understood the church of Corinth. Maybe he understood that that was going to be a hard testing ground for young Timothy. So he told him directly, man, give this kid a break. Give him a break. He does the work of the Lord the same as I do. Don't despise him. Send him on his journey in peace. He then moves from young Timothy uh, to the veteran, Apollos. Apollos had been around for a while. He was a, he was a great orator. He was a great spokesman for the Lord Jesus. Verse 12 speaks of Apollos. It says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. Do you read that? I, Paul, said, come on, Apollos, I really want you to go to Corinth. And Apollos is saying, there's no way I'm going to Corinth right now, Paul. You hear what it says? He was quite unwilling. It's not like, well, let me pray about this, Paul. Let me think for a minute. No, I'm not going to Corinth. Don't you, wouldn't you love to be able to read the words in between the lines of what kind of a discussion that took place there? But for Paul to say, he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when it's convenient for him, when he has a convenient time. Here's the deal you need to understand. Apollos had already ministered in Corinth. He had already been there. He knew the situation at Corinth. There's no way I'm going back to Corinth. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. 
You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word.